Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Palace Confidential, where we look back over the past year at the endless news surrounding the Queen's favourite son, Prince Andrew. I'm Jo Elvin, coming to you from Mail Plus HQ in Kensington. It's been over a year since Prince Andrew stepped down from his official royal role, a decision that came following scrutiny over his friendship with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein and the backlash to his BBC interview. For all the scandal surrounding him, the Duke of York spent most of the first half of the year laying low, but after his father's death in April, Andrew took the opportunity to speak on behalf of the Queen and the royal family. We've lost almost the grandfather of the nation. Um, And I feel very sorry um, and supportive of my mother, who's um, uh, feeling it, I think, probably more than everybody else. Call me a cynic, but even as he walked up to the microphone, my skin just started crawling. I just thought, this is going to be so cringe. And sure enough, on and on he went for several minutes. I think it was eight minutes altogether. And of course, he has every right to mourn for his father. Um, But I just couldn't help thinking, are you spending a little bit too long in this spotlight here? Have you seized on this as your one opportunity to, to, to speak to the cameras for the first time in you know, a really long time now? And one very cynical person suggested that he'd sort of slipped through the net because the Queen was mourning, this terrible thing had happened to her husband, he'd passed away, and she just maybe wasn't on the ball and had somehow allowed this to happen, and he took advantage of that. Perhaps that's a bit mm. too cynical, but he did seem to be enjoying it. By the summer, preparations for the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell were well underway, a trial many speculated would shed more light on the relationship between Andrew and Epstein. With his reputation tarnished, Sarah Ferguson, Andrew's ex-wife, felt the need to advocate for the prince whilst promoting her book on ITV's Lorraine. It's been extraordinary, the pandemic, for everybody. It's been so challenging for everybody. Uh, But I think uh, that Prince Andrew is just such a good man. You know, he's a, he's a really thoroughly good man. He's a very gentle man. He, he's, he's, a, he's a really good father. We did co-parent very well, hence the reason why our girls are, are very, very solid and, and uh, feet on the ground. But now, as a grandfather, oh my goodness, he, you know, he's really good. No, I don't think mind. it does rehabilitate him at all in the eyes of the public. I think, you know, I just think that she that's her view of prince andrew i mean you know and she obviously has a very very unique view of prince andrew doesn't she mm. i mean i don't know if it, if how much it helps because we all know how close they are she still essentially yeah. lives with prince andrew yeah. um so no he needs it's entirely separate i think andrew's problems from Fergie, who, yeah, we all love. I'm looking forward to reading her book. In August, it was announced that Virginia Dufra, one of Epstein's victims, was to sue the prince in a civil suit for her alleged rape, sexual assault and battery when she was 17. Prince Andrew denied all allegations. The Met Police Commissioner Cressida Dick responded to this news by saying that no one is above the law and that the police would review their position not to investigate whether crimes were committed by Jeffrey Epstein in London. You know, these are very, very serious allegations and it represents a real sort of upping of the stakes 
uh, in what effectively is now a duel between the Duke uh, and his, uh, his American accuser, Virginia Roberts. He's got one of the best legal brains in the country, Claire Montgomery QC, advising him uh, on this. Um, they obviously are assessing the best uh, tactics. Uh, it, it doesn't look good to the man in the street, probably, that he is saying nothing. But um, they're trying to plot a way through this, which causes him the least damage. It's extraordinary, really, that you've got a senior royal who is effectively a fugitive in his own country because, as I understand it, uh, her legal team will want to try and serve papers on him uh, directly. So, um, you know, the Duke can't nip out of, of his home uh, in the grounds of Windsor Castle uh, to pop into a shop without the risk of having some legal papers from the state served on him. It's, it's an extraordinary situation. I went to uh, Florida in 2011 to cover the Epstein scandal. I was there again in 2015. I wrote a front page story in the Daily Mail from uh, Palm Beach uh, saying that the royalty protection officers uh, from the relevant time should be interviewed as part of any investigation into the allegations against uh, Prince Andrew. For whatever reason, that hasn't been that hasn't been done. I believe that the protection officers have given statements to Andrew's legal team, but I don't believe that there's been any Scotland Yard inquiry into what they did or didn't see. Um, their evidence is potentially key to all this. Andrew and his legal team have been absolutely blindsided by this. They did not expect uh, Virginia Giffray and her attorney to go down this route of a civil lawsuit. And as a result, there is a lot of behind the scenes crisis of working out, trying to work out what to do about it. I mean, it's, it's a very dangerous time for him. Every option available to them is very, very high risk. He could, he could try and ignore it completely, but then of course he risks having a court finding against him in his absence and being branded a sex abuser in America and being subject to a multi-million dollar um, claim against him. He could come out fighting, but if he does that, he's got to be prepared to have every dealing he's had with Jeffrey Epstein scrutinised, every aspect of his life opened up to um, uh, to the public, including even his own sexual history. I know for a fact that uh, senior courtiers and indeed members of his own family, most notably the Prince of Wales and the Duke of Cambridge, uh, are really unhappy at the way this has been handled. And, and, and Prince Charles very strongly feels that much as he loves his brother, um, you know, as a, as a member of his family, there is no way back for him to public life after this. Well, I think that Andrew has basically two options here. One is he does hide behind wealth and palace walls, but that will mean that he can never have any form of public life ever again and will just have to skulk around in the shadows. Um, or he can call her bluff and actually confront these claims, you know, in, a, in an open way and answer, answer the accusations against him. And, you know, if it's true that he is not guilty of anything, then, you know... Presumably, he'll be cleared and he can be vindicated and go back to public life. And I think he does need to sort of either lance the boil, as it were, or just, well, I don't know, become an even bigger boil. I mean, but do you know what I mean? I, th I think those are yes. the two choices that face him. And I think in terms of the royal family, I think there comes a point where the reputation of the royal family 
is greater than the reputation of any one member of the royal family. And I think they will close ranks and they will, because they have to protect their brand. You know, they can't have it tainted by this. What Andrew has done in the last few months is he keeps sneaking back out. So mm. when Philip died, he kind of couldn't wait to speak outside the church. Mm. And it was his father and he had every right to, but it felt, I don't know, it felt to me like he was mm. enjoying that moment. The other thing he keeps doing is riding around on his horses in Windsor, flanked by two um, grooms, which makes him look important. He's always pictured laughing and he knows he's getting pictured. Mm. And I don't know, they're only little things, but I feel like Charles was saying, come on, this is it. You're, mm. you're not in the picture anymore. Mm. And, you know, he's lancing the boil, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, I think Charles is. And I think Charles is sending a, a clear signal that, you know, I'm not going to be as generous towards you as our mother is. I think it's so hard. Eugenie is with him now in Balmoral, and she's such a normal down-to-earth girl. Mm. And this just must be really hard for her. Beatrice actually is a bit more of a cheerleader, I think, because she sort of advised him around the Newsnight interview. So, um, uh, yeah, I think she, she must find it really difficult. She genuinely believes her father is like this perfect sort mm. of individual. I suppose we all think that about our fathers. But yeah, um, I don't think that about my father at all. <laughs> but anyway, yes. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, Eugenie is a genuinely normal role. I mean, she must be completely baffled by this. She's with She's just got a new baby, you know, mm. and she's in Balmoral with her husband, who has also sort of been misbehaving lately. Mm. You know, it must be a really stressful time for her. I feel, I feel really bad for the girls, actually. You know, we saw many years ago in, in various documentaries, whenever Andrew pops up, he's always, he just behaves oh, he's so appallingly. He's his worst enemy, you know. Yeah. He's very pompous, he's very full of himself. He's, he's sort of, I mean, I have no idea what he's like with his family, but, it, you know, his public persona is basically that of the spoiled prince, isn't mm, it? Mm. You know, he's not terribly clever. He thinks he's cleverer than he is. He thinks mm. he's more important than he is. And he's always a bit jealous because, you know, Charles gets, you know, is the firstborn. And he, that's his character, you know. And, and that was very much his character at the time when he was, you know, supposedly doing all these terrible things that he's meant to have been doing. Mm. I and mean, those were his sort of quite wild yets, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. That was his sort of above the law phase. Yes, as exactly. And we have not uh, opened um, an investigation. If, Why would that well, be? If, it, if there are reports of girls, underage girls, being trafficked to London for sex with the Duke of York, isn't that something so that what we, we want to look what at? What we will look at is, is there evidence of a crime? This is what we have looked at. Is there evidence of a crime? Are, we, are we in the right jurisdiction? Sorry, is this the right jurisdiction for this to be dealt with? And is the person against whom the crime is alleged still alive? Those are the three things that we do look at and we have looked at in these cases. And we have concluded that there is no investigation for us to open and we haven't. We have taken advice from the Crown Prosecution Service uh, and I am clear that that was, and it's been reviewed twice, the right decision. I'm aware that currently uh, there is a lot more commentary in the media and um, a uh, apparent uh, civil court case going yeah. on in America well, it's apparent, it's, it's and, fact, yeah. and we will of course again review our position so as a result of what's happened I, in New we, York you're we, going we'll to be looking it. at the position of course we will but at the moment there is no uh, there is no investigation I'm amazed if you like why the Mets have not investigated there's a difference between a review and an investigation what I say quite clearly unequivocally is unless you investigate an allegation, you will never find evidence. And I don't know why or who were actually interviewed by this so-called review to determine whether any offences were committed by uh, Prince Andrew or anyone else. 
And again, there's a whole litany of people who could be interviewed, I would have thought. And, and in fairness, as a police officer, your duty is to the truth. Your duty is to the courts eventually to give evidence which is pertinent. Now, if nobody actually then goes out and investigates properly any credible witness, and what I'm surprised about is that no one has come forward yet to corroborate anything or any of the versions he has given. I think, I, I suspect, you know, that we're talking about something that happened 20 years ago, yeah. if it happened. And so I suspect back in the, you know, back then, the police would have, would have drawn a veil over anything that a member of the royal family did that was wrong. Do you know what I mean? I think times have changed a lot. And I think that, uh, I think it is good that they're reopening the case. I think they might, I mean, they might dig up some useful stuff. And, and if they do, then, I mean, I don't think, if, if he did what he, if, if he is guilty, then I think he should be held responsible for it. By October, Prince Andrew has become a poster boy for republicanism being featured on campaign billboards, whilst the Met Police decided that they would take no further action against the Duke. On the other side of the Atlantic, things were moving very quickly in a civil case against him for the alleged rape, sexual assault and battery of Virginia Jufra. Prince Andrew is in an invidious position. If he speaks out, uh, as he did in the Newsnight interview, he's condemned out of his own mouth. If he says nothing, then he's condemned by his own silence. The only thing that is worse than those two options is actually having to go to court to give evidence under oath in America about the details of his interactions with Virginia Joffrey. And on the other side, David Boyce for Virginia Joffrey, who again is another very good high profile lawyer, um, he knows that the only way that he can get uh, Prince Andrew to call is effectively by shaming him. He said a few days ago that, you know, Prince Andrew could not hide behind high palace walls. Well, in fact, he knows full well that that's exactly what Prince Andrew can do. And he knows that it's very difficult to drag somebody to court in New York when they don't want to go. So what he's trying to do is to pile on the public pressure. And of course, all this detail about going to serve or attempt to serve the documents, the court proceedings at the gatehouse is, again, calculated to pile on public opprobrium and pressure onto Prince Andrew to a point where he has to or is effectively shamed into going back to the United States and giving an account of himself. But of course, that's not the end of the problem, because of course, um, it's a New York court, and we have, uh, he has no legal obligation to go to the US court. Now, that gives Virginia Joffrey the opportunity to uh, get at what's called a default judgment, i.e. The, the prince hasn't turned up, and because he's not turned up, she can sign judgment against him. The problem with a default judgment from America or indeed any other country is that it will give Virginia Joffrey the vindication that she seeks, but the money damages associated with that will be unenforceable in the United Kingdom. If what she seeks is vindication, then she may well uh, achieve that, but she's not going to achieve a money judgment uh, and damages, um, uh, although she will have an order for it, she won't be able to enforce it. Of course, many people will think, why doesn't Prince Andrew just buy her off? Well, the problem with that is that's 
effectively going to be treated as an admission of guilt by uh, the general public, uh, whether or not he does it for commercial reasons. This has become so high profile uh, that it will be impossible as a practicality to buy Virginia Jeffrey and her lawyers off. And as a consequence of that, I think it's going to be uh, one of those cases that will have to play out till the end and we will see all of these points done. And of course, you know, both legal teams have planned for that because they're working, you know, four or five moves down the chessboard ahead of where we are at the moment. They know what their strategy is going to be given the move that the other person makes. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. But I think that it's going to end up with Virginia Jeffrey getting a vindication and Prince Andrew not paying any damages. So this has been a fascinating few days because, as you know, Andrew was ref- and his legal team were refusing to have anything to do. They were refusing to engage in this case. And in fact, as of Monday morning, the day of the hearing in New York, I was still being advised that that was the case. And then suddenly, four hours before it was due to be heard, uh, suddenly this lawyer, Andrew B. Brettler, uh, files papers. He's quite well known in Hollywood for representing uh, men accused of sexual dis- misdemeanors. Suddenly says, oh, here I am, I'm representing Andrew. Um, but interesting, and I was on that conference call on Monday night, the judge gave them very, very short shrift. It wasn't acrimonious, as some people have suggested, but the judge had a very clear vision. It's like, I know what you're trying to do. It's not going to work. Those papers are going to be served on Andrew sooner rather than later, and you either uh, find an amicable way to do it or we will find a way to do it for you. Uh, We heard from the High Court um, on Wednesday and they said they had received an application to serve papers and were happy to do so if uh, if no other way could be found. So uh, what the judge has said should happen is coming true, that this case is moving forward apace and there'll be a hearing in person on October the 13th. Essentially, they never wanted to speak to him before. They had an investigation against Jeffrey Epstein, and that was all concluded. But when there became a scandal about how leniently um, they treated Epstein, they started looking for other scapegoats. Mm. You know, and that's what we've seen with Andrew. So they only ever wanted him as, as a witness. Um, so he, I think he was in a very difficult position. But the strategy is exasperating, because it seems to have been just sort of put your head in the sand mm. and hope it goes away. So th- this is what's happened here, you know, and finally they've had to acknowledge the case. But then we've also got the FBI who um, want to speak to him, and we haven't been given any advice on what's happening there. Has he spoken to them? Has he done this? Again, it seems to be just, we're not going to say anything and hope it goes away. I think being ticked off by a judge in America might have been... Um his worst one yet. What can he do? He's got to hire a lawyer, so presumably he wants to hire a good one. But yes, it's one who's represented various Hollywood figures with um, serious Mm. issues, and I'm sure costing an absolute fortune. So I'm very intrigued to know who's paying for all this legal representation. As in, it could be us? Um, I don't think so, but it's more likely it's his mother who's footing the bill for all of this. On this side of the pond, the Queen let it be known that her son would retain his title of Honorary Colonel of the Grenadier Guards. And Prince Andrew was seen in public with an entourage of SUVs and taxpayer-funded police protection. With Prince Andrew applying to the US courts to have Virginia Jufri's case struck out in New York, receiving a stern reaction from the judge, our palace experts discussed what they would do if they were in Andrew's position. So I was on a conference call yesterday with the United States. It was a court hearing. And basically, Prince Andrew has been told to expect 
trial on the civil action being brought against him by Virginia Joffre in the autumn next year. And we also had it confirmed for the first time that Andrew will be expected to give a deposition in the case. So, and that will be on oath. So we will expect to hear him swear an oath and speak frankly and openly about any dealings he's had with Jeffrey Epstein and Virginia Joffre. He's hired these um, very aggressive, confrontational lawyers who are used to dealing with celebrities who find themselves in hot water. And their stance has been, no, we go on the attack. And so in this last minute deposition, submission as it is, by Andrew, in which he's calling for the judge in New York to throw out the charges against him by Virginia Dufresne, um, the lawyers have not pulled their punches. The danger for Andrew is, and it's already happened, frankly, is that he looks like he's victim-shaming uh, Virginia Roberts, who, who, let's be absolutely clear about this, is most definitely a victim. There is a, a sort of a view to take here that Andrew's lawyers are saying, look, we're not saying that she was a, a bad woman, but what they've done is that they have included with their submission articles, or at least one article, I think, from a New York newspaper in which former friends of Virginia's um, make a, a number of allegations about her, about her being um, uh, sex-hungry, uh, that she worked to procure girls for Epstein anyway, and that she's looking for another payday. And that centrally is the Andrew case. He, he is going to have to start preparing himself for an interrogation. I think, frankly, this is a low blow. Uh, he's dragging up this, this individual's personal history, looking at Virginia Giuffre's uh, past before uh, she was involved with Epstein and then accusing her, essentially, of being complicit in that operation. Um, who's advising Andrew? Who is suggesting that this is uh, the right moral line to take uh, in this case? But, you know, this is a terrible headache, the Prince Andrew case. And remember, this is should be a year next year 2023 we should be celebrating the queen's platinum jubilee you know what an achievement it should be such a joyous occasion but we're going to have this um civil case revolting case it's going to be in america mm -hmm. with with prince andrew trying to prove um how um, you know, dodgy his accuser is. Clearly it is causing mum stress, isn't it? It's, yeah. uh, he's, he's behaving in such a way that I think plays sort of scant regard to uh, what the, op the operation that Charles and the Queen are currently trying to manage. They are uh, preparing for a succession. It's going to happen in a, in a couple of years, maybe a few, a few more than that. But they are trying at the moment to consolidate what the monarchy's doing, to sort of like steer the ship in a, in a slightly new direction, and we've got distraction. From Andrew. The problem we've got is that we've got this Ghislaine Maxwell trial coming down the rails and I think that's going to be a car crash for him, for Andrew, because inevitably stuff is going to come out in that. I mean, it might not be anything that, that is incriminating, but it'll just be more facts, more detail, more, more churning of this sort of barrel of worms. As the year ends, question marks remain over what will be learned about Andrew in two court cases in the U.S., of course, here at Palace Confidential, we will continue bringing you all of the latest on Prince Andrew and following closely the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell, bringing you all of the updates right here on Mail Plus. For now, a big thank you to all of my wonderful guests this year and an even bigger thank you to you for watching. Merry Christmas and have a very happy new year.